what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm here with Ryan Evans and Sue, your uh, publicity agent, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sue Booth. He handles. He wears many hats, many many hats of Sue Booth. Uh, Ryan is a stand-up comedian. He's an actor. He's a writer. I saw him on stage in uh, Denver a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. thought he was interesting and funny. And that's all I need to have a guest. So, Ryan, welcome. Thanks for making the time. Interesting and funny. <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. I had a great time that night. I'm trying to remember Jagged Jagged Mountain Brewery or something yeah. like that. And uh, you know, I do a lot of these shows out in, in Colorado, so it is great to get like that feedback from that night. I don't know if you noticed, but everybody there was like really, really good and really uh, receptive. So this is a great night. And then you have you like, you want to do my podcast? I'm like, why not? Yes. <laughs> Who else is that? asking you know <laughs> no no you just seem like a really genuine guy and i was like uh yeah you know i you know i've been asked to do weird podcasts and everything like that if you know you, you like probably, like uh science fiction and stuff like that stuff that nothing about me says i should be on the show you know what i mean i just think that they couldn't find anyone at the time like uh, we need a black guy. <laughs> oh, there's one. And, you know, that's one that asked me. But, you know, these weird shows. I had a vibe immediately when I met you. Like, this is going to be a great show. I can't wait to do it. So, wow. yeah, I'm Thank glad to much. be here. Thank you. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked your, your crowd work. Like, you engaged people and you weren't... Um uh, hostile, like it was a fun crowd, <laughs> but like a lot of people, like I've seen in in comedy clubs or on TV, it's like they're like going after the crowd, and like Attack. you immediately had everybody as your friend. It's like yeah. it was kind of like if you were doing your set in this room, like everybody knew, and it's just it was a fun vibe, and I think you set that tone. It was really cool to watch. It's a very, very difficult art form because essentially your first reaction to anything but praise, you know, instant <laughs> praise is I hate you all. <laughs> you know, you want to throw something at them because that's that's the human reaction. Uh, I, I used to have this joke. I don't say it too much. It's an old joke. But uh, I would say uh, I would explain to the audience how jokes are like our babies, our kids. We kind of raise them from birth, from like the thought. That's the birth of that joke. And we raise them and we get them nice and dressed up and pretty and we put the little polka dot dress on her and we bring her out here on the stage we hold in a hand like this is our baby and y'all can say boo you can boo my baby so my reaction is to pumble anyone who is booing my baby my child and that's you know uh i've learned that Hostility is no, there's no place in the comedy room setting, wherever that may be, a brewery or wherever, uh, for that type of hostility. When I'm on the stage, that time is mine. So I essentially am commanding that room. That's my job. And I have to do it in a funny way. So I try to, uh, I've been doing this a long time, man. I've been doing this a while. So I'm able to, like, I'm stand up 14 years. Yeah. 14 years in. Yeah, that sounds right. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm able to pick vibes and energy off of people, you know, people that kind of give you what they want to hear. Like that night, I had no idea what I was going to say. I had a couple of new jokes. The rest of it I was like, we're going to see what happens. And they'll give you the energy. Like, I think I spoke it on, on, my, on my Instagram. There was a person in the middle of the room that was not laughing the entire time. He was right next to you. Right next to you, not laughing. It was a guy next to him uh, the whole time. He was laughing, but that one guy wasn't. As a comedian, okay, I see that. That is screaming at me. <laughs> but as a professional, you have to learn that everybody is laughing. Work with this. Work with this positive here. Maybe that'll unveil itself as to why. You know, maybe he doesn't like black people. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like my style of delivery, my content. So afterwards, the guy came and spoke to me. It turns out he's he's deaf. He didn't hear so well. And the guy next to him was explaining the jokes. So as I see him not laughing, the other guy was explaining the jokes. So as I'm delivering the next joke, he's laughing at the previous joke, you know, and it just it explains a little bit more on on how how hard this is. Like I said, said earlier, how hard this is. But as a professional, those things you, you wouldn't even know to look for. Like Ryan is, uh, <clears throat> like Ryan is really dealing with this whole room and this crowd very well. But there was one guy you didn't even know. It was one guy that whole time. It was just staring at me the whole time, like make me laugh. <laughs> and it wasn't that he can't even hear me. <clears throat> Could so, you, you imagine know. how bad that would have gone if you started? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been there. <laughs> oh, you want to hear this story? Wait a minute. <laughs> So Sue was here for this one. I was I was uh I was at the Denver Improv and uh I was getting on the stage, it was a big night, big crowd, big crowd. And uh, you know, I know I'm not that famous, most people don't know me that well, so when I get on the stage, yeah. people are not clapping. Yeah. Yet, I'll take it. I'll take it. It makes me taller. Uh, <laughs> people don't give me the same enthusiasm with their claps when I walk up, and that's understandable. But, you know, sometimes I'll point out people, hey, clap your hands. I see you're not clapping. And I pointed out a lady, and she wasn't clapping. And uh, I didn't realize until I told her to clap her hands that she didn't have a hand on one of them. <laughs> she, she was amp, she was amputee uh, on one arm. So I was telling her to clap. I'm like, hey, clap your hands. And she was like, and she was so excited. She started clapping them. And I'm like, okay, Ryan, make a mental note. You cannot, you make sure you know who you're talking to in this audience before you start talking to people. So that, I guess that is a little bit of what helps me to be comfortable enough to eliminate any hostility in the room. You didn't come for that. Neither did I. So, you know, it's, I learned that from just previous watching previous uh, uh, comedians and just a love of what, I, what, what comedy is. Stand up is my favorite. I love stand up. How did you get started? It did was, you, let me even back up. Did you always yeah. consider yourself funny? Were you? No, I was a shy kid. Really? Very quiet. Very, very. Actually, right now, I just found out uh, I'm, I'm missing a 20 year class reunion. Maybe I shouldn't say 20 year. Maybe I'm missing the 10. Maybe this is the 10. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, uh, uh, friends, I put it up old pictures and everything like that. And, and, you know, just to see some of the comments. He was so quiet. He was so shy. And they're absolutely right. I was. I was like uh, the nerdy guy with the big, thick glasses and a portfolio getting the art class or something like that. You know, some advanced calculus class. And uh, comedy came about because after 
after high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to do something with art, but I couldn't pinpoint anything. I didn't know what my art form was. My medium was. I had a lot of forms, but I couldn't find it until I went to Los Angeles to visit. And my brother's a comedian, and I'll get to that in a second. He's a a professional comedian. But I was able to see, you know, Rodney's Rodney. Uh, But I was able to get to see some of my favorite comedians on stage once I got to Los Angeles, you know. And to see those people live, and make no mistake, whoever hears this, you don't know comedy until you are able to see it live. You, there's no way you can possibly. And to see my favorite comedians live, it just, uh, it, it opened something up. If, it was like they had so much power. I'd never seen that before. You know, for one man to stand on the stage, every chair, every table is aimed at him. You know, you don't really pay attention to it from the audience, but everything is geared to listening to that man. And he don't have to dance. He can leave the mic right in the stand and just deliver his jokes flat footed and anchored and still be funny and do his job. To me, that's that's magical. And this is what made it even more magical. I got a job when I got to Los Angeles as a doorman at a comedy club before uh, I was a comedian. I was a doorman and a DJ. And, uh, you know, I can see people's days on them when they come to the comedy club. Really? I can, you can see it. You can feel it on them. I can see light bill on your shoulder and, and bad kids all, <laughs> all wrapped around your waist. You dragging it in. And, and this is the magical part. By the time the check comes, you're not even worried about it. You're happy to pay. You're excited to pay for it. Can't wait to come back again. That magic is what brought me to like, not like, oh, I can do that. Like, it would be prestigious to be a part of that. So I, I start thinking about it at least. This is uh, being that my brother, my brother, um, I'm just talking. You're not even asking any questions. <laughs> the less I talk, the better. Nobody wants to hear my stories. <clears throat> Trust me on this one. My brother is the great Rodney Perry. Rodney Perry is a, a seasoned veteran of, uh, you know, all of black comedy shows, of course, uh, BT Comic Views, uh, Def Jams, and uh, things of that nature. Uh, but Rodney's uh, uh, latest uh, claim to fame is um, he was the co-star of the Monique show, which was uh, on the uh, BT network and uh, star. It was like a late night talk show. <clears throat> Excuse me. Starring Monique. Uh, I'm going to talk and you're not even going to get a question in. This is just what it's going to be. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> because Rodney, uh, you know, took the time and this is an uh, example. You know, you never know who, who who's watching you for your example. And that's the as I'm talking, I'll be dropping lessons <laughs> uh, or tidbits to how I, you asked me how I came to comedy or tidbits to how I came to comedy or why I'm still here as an example of, of, of you never know. Rodney was working for the radio station out there in Los Angeles for free as the morning comedy guy, you know, and everybody talks so much trash because you work it for free, for free, man. But that's how we met Monique. They got to work on a radio show together. Once she got the call to do a show, called him immediately. So 
Also, while he was filming that show, he was filming for another network, TV One. They don't really air it out here in Denver so much, but it's uh, pretty big in uh, the South and things like that, Midwest. Uh, TV One network on a show called uh, Bill Bellamy's Who's Got Jokes. You're familiar with Bill Bellamy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bill Bellamy, very, very, very funny guy. Very nice guy, too. Very nice guy. But he was also the co-host of that one, so he was kind of blowing up. So now here come come Ryan, you know, want to do some jokes. (laughs) You know, you're just trying to ride his coattail. And and here's the amazing thing. You know, this is all... I had no idea what I wanted to do. When I got to Los Angeles, I had a bunch of music because I was a kid. You know, I was like 20 years old. And what I would do with my little extra income, because I didn't have any kids yet, was spending on DVDs and CDs. So because I had music, he let me... uh, The owner let me be the DJ. But... Once I started uh, to think about doing comedy, I thought about that. You know, this is the main thought. Like my brother does comedy. Like what? What, what is that going to look like? You know, how am I going to deal with that? How is that going to change his little? You know, thing he already has going on. But the main thing that stood out and is a blessing in disguise is that we have different last names. His name is Rodney Perry. My name is Ryan Evans. So it's still people to this day that don't know we're brothers, but it's still a lot of people who did know, you know. So maneuvering in the beginning was uh, difficult, but his thing was if you want to do it, just do it. Nobody helped me. So go ahead. And plus, he was in the Navy before. So his thing was like, swim, soldier. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Get out there and do it. So, you know, uh, blessing. You know, in the beginning, it's like, what kind of, why would you, like, help me? But now, it's a blessing. I'm glad he did. And the things that I've learned on my own, I wouldn't have been able to learn through somebody, like, sheltering me through comedy. You got to kind of take your lumps. and you know. I'm grateful for where I am now based upon, you know, those couple of things I mentioned just just so far. I'm going to pause now. You can ask any questions. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask Sue to have a seat. You, you want to sit down, Sue? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, you record. Gotcha. Yeah, I know it looked dark, but it's, I think it's going to record a lot. It might. Yeah. You keep All right. Cool. On. If you're working, you can keep standing. I just want you to know you got a spot on the sofa. <laughs> Do you remember the first joke you ever wrote? Yeah. I still say it from time to time. When I said you better feel blessed, you better feel blessed as the audience member because I don't say it that often. It's a stupid joke. But it's not. I still say every joke. (laughs) I still say every joke because they're all good jokes. I've never written, like, as I... Worked at a comedy club as a DJ. I was able to upstairs and I was able to look down and see like I can see the sea of laughter like a comic would be here. Brick wall comic and audience. And when he throws that joke, they would fly back and you could see the waves. You could see like the actual ripples of the laughs. So I never approached it like uh you know, you'll be talking to somebody with bad breath, you know, you know, like the cheesy beginning jokes, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, all the uh, beginning little novice jokes. I never started there. All my jokes was all detail-y. That was the only thing I would say was wrong in the beginning with my comedy style is that it was too detailed. So my first joke 
Uh, I had two jokes. I only had five minutes, but I took seven minutes for my first time. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend at the time was a stand-up comedian, and uh, you know she was one of the people who convinced me to get on the get on the stage, as well as uh, other people worked at the club. You know, I'm going to work with a couple of people this weekend: Mr. David Arnold, Kim Whitley, and uh, Arlington Improv. Um, but yeah, they convinced me to try it. My first joke, one was about cussing. And one was about uh, being knocked out. <laughs> and I, do you want to hear them? Is that, is that what this pause is about? Is that what you're trying to get out of me, Mike? If you, if you want to tell your first joke, go ahead. Absolutely. I'll try to tell it very, very uh, <clears throat> subtly. And I don't know. I'll just give you the just because, it's like I said, it's, it's too long. It was like five minutes for the first joke. Uh, the joke is just about how uh, cuss words come about. You know, they're always looked at so negatively. And, uh, you know, I've taken the time to do the research. You know, I don't just cuss to be cussing. I cuss because I know what the words mean and where they came from. And I just describe my f- my favorite uh, cuss word came from. It is the cuss word motherfucker. <laughs> and, and I describe it. Uh, it takes place in the medieval times. And, you know, somebody was sleeping with somebody's mother, of course. <laughs> and it's just, I go through this whole descriptive thing with it. It's just a funny, it's a funny story. And that's, uh, that's how I would describe how I deliver comedy. You know, uh, it seemed like, like you said, it seemed like I was just talking like as if I was in a living room. And that's because I take these jokes and I make them story-like, you know? So it, it's not so much like, hey, well, what did the nun say to the, you know, I don't do that. So, uh, yeah, that was the that was the cuss, cursing joke. And the other joke was about me being knocked out. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's like the, the wonderful part about that joke that I always hold on to is it never happened. Like, um, you know, some people say, you know, uh, all this stuff is real. It's true. Most of the stuff that I say is true. Some part of truth is in that. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to think of what I said that night so I can be more specific. Uh, you wouldn't remember any joke that I said that night, would you, man? <laughs> no, but and I don't. I don't want you to take that personal. No, 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 like, no, I do not. I just enjoyed the the energy. Like, I just I was more into watching you work yeah. and watching you work the room, and still trying to multitask and process what you're saying and sort of how you were saying it. And what I liked is that you stepped off of, I don't know if there was a stage there, but you stepped off the stage and you were working that first table. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder if he's just going to sit down, which would be actually just kind (laughs) of cool. But it's like, sometimes when I do do those intimate shows, I do sit down. I just learned that, uh, I think, um, being that before I was able to actually perform, uh, I was able to see performances of big names and big stars on uh, big, big stages, you know, my brother being who he was. So uh, I watched him work one night on a big stage and uh, it didn't make sense to me, but it filled me up with energy watching him, just like you're trying to describe like that energy. Uh, it didn't make sense to me. Like he's just why is he, why is he like why is he moving so much? Just say the joke. <laughs> and it didn't make sense till I got off stage and I asked till he got off the stage and I asked him that and he uh he explained that stage is mine. 
Like, that's all mine. Like, why would I ever work every inch of that stage? Even if you just hit it for a second, just work every inch. Why not? It's all yours. Why would you stay in one place? That energy you put out omits more. This might not ring true here so much in Denver, but I'm from Chicago, Southside, and I always, this is what made it make sense to me. I saw a crackhead dancing on the corner, and I, I was at the light, and I watched him for a second, and I didn't realize until I was being honked at that I'm still fucking watching a crackhead <laughs> on the corner. And he wasn't doing nothing but dancing, happily dancing. And that energy he gave off Put that happiness in me. I went to work laughing my ass off at that dance from that crackhead on the corner. And it was just his energy. He could have been sitting there and looking a whole nother crackheady way. But he's like, nope, I'm a dance. And that energy meant something to me for that day. So I, I realized what I do is it's easy to a sense of everybody has some form of sense of humor. You can find a way of making the masses laugh. But what I'm able to do is transfer energy in the midst of that. You don't think about anything else, but those laughs, you even don't even think about the previous laugh more than you think about the next because the energy makes you anticipate it so much. That's why, that's why I love like uh, comedy shows and comedy rooms. Whenever you're down, just go there. They're probably going to be talking about the same stuff you're down about and making it so funny, you know? So I, sometimes I do sit there, but for the most part, I like to give that energy, especially when I feel like the audience needs it. Yeah. Well, and then you mentioned calculus. I grew up a nerd as well. I, yeah. I had math and science. I was an engineer for 10 years. Look and, at that. And I just remembered that there was some thoughtfulness and some definite intelligence to what you were, you were saying. It was funny and, and it resonated with me in a different way. Like the, the other guys were funny. They had some cool jokes. Like, like the one guy, he said that uh, the one thing the Bible taught me is there's nothing good in hotel room drawers. That was hysterical. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. When you say it, I I remember that now. Yeah. That was very (laughs) funny. And that's what I love about comedy. You get different pieces of mind sets and ways of thinking you know I can get up and trip and fall but the way you see it is different from the way Sue see it it's definitely going to be different from the way yeah. I saw it so you know it's, it's, it's to be able to get those different perspectives that's what I love about comedy there's nothing new under the sun except for the flatter screen TVs you know yeah. there's nothing new under the sun we're going to all be eventually talking about the same things it's just how are you talking about it you know what I mean that's what I take pride in how am I delivering what I'm delivering? And I'm learning how to deliver more positive nowadays than anything. As a comedian, you're young, you're hungry, literally and, and uh, figurative, figuratively speaking, because you have nothing. You have no money. So everything is angry. Uh, they cut my lights off. Forget the light company. Yeah, that's how your joke <laughs> is. But then you got to realize like they are in this audience probably suffering from the same thing. Uh, Their lights are probably on the verge of being cut off or have been. So rather than talk about, oh, they cut my lights off. Like, if your lights have been cut off, this is what you can do. It's just a better angle to approach things. It's uh, it's lighter. It's easier to deal with. People carry so much, man. Uh, Our job is, 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 is... priceless what we do as stand-up comedians i change everything in a blink of an eye i change your whole outlook on everything and and i respect that even before i hit the stage 
So I think that's why I deliver the way you're picking up on. It's because I respect what I'm doing. I know every tear is aiming at me. What am I going to say? It was professional. Like you had. It was okay. <laughs> it was okay. I, 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 you know, it was okay. Like I said, I wanted to work out some new material there, and I kind of, I like to be loosey goosey then, you know. And I, I, sometimes I don't know what's going to happen. So when you say professional, it's not to me that doesn't echo as loosey goosey in my mind. That's like you know, I knew I was going to say this, and I hit that point, and I, you know. That's how it is in my mind, at least when I hit professional, you know, maybe so it was okay. maybe comfortable, relaxed. Right? Like I you like see, to stay in that zone. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you see a professional quarterback, like he he's people are closing in on him and he's just got his his routes and his reads. And it just that. felt like you were just doing your reads going. He called me Peyton Manny of comedy. That's what I'm going to tell people. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that, that was a great room, too. I'd have walked around the whole room if I had a cordless mic. If I cordless mic, the whole place is my room. I can, my, my stage, rather. I can go anywhere. But yeah, that was a good night. I want to go back that song. So your first set, mm-hmm. when you did that, were you nervous? And if you were, how nervous were you? I'm I was, guessing uh, you prepare a lot. Yeah, I write a lot, a lot, a lot. And, uh, you know, crazily, it would appear, you know, to the naked eye or to the normal eye, rather. But I say my jokes aloud a lot and I rehearse them a lot. Once you've hit enough stages, you kind of know what's funny for the masses. So you're able to make those make material for everyone rather than just like, you know, a specific audience. But um, by the time I hit my first stage, you know, I had nerves, but not like, oh, my God, what am I doing? It was just like um, it felt it felt like it always feels. And people ask me about nerves all the time. It's more anxiousness than nerves. I don't think I'm feeling any kind of nervousness unless I'm about to do a TV gig or something that's important, you know, that's going to can be career changing. Everything else is preparation for something that's important, career changing. You know, uh, even even if it's a, a what is deemed a bigger stage, there are no nerves. There's this anxiousness. I cannot wait to see what I cannot wait. I'm, generally, I know this is going to work. I know it's going to work. My, re, my, my writing, rewriting, writing again, my rehearsal, rehearsaling, rehearsaling. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. That'll, that'll be a joke someday. That's a joke. That's a start Re-rehearsing. Of a joke. Is that a <laughs> But all of that. I know is it, it lends to preparation and, and all of performance. And I don't think this just is for comedy. All the performance is just confidence. You know, that crackhead dancing on the corner confidence. He had the confidence to sit there and do this little dance and gathered enough attention and omit that energy. You know, uh, I think my first time I was anxious and once no one made a noise for four minutes, <laughs> for four long minutes, as I'm <laughs> rambling through this story about uh, 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 the cuss words being invented in the medieval times, uh, no laughs. And then it happened. One person in the back of the room, and I still remember to to this day, she's an actress. Uh, uh, I don't know if she's still acting. I know she had a, ch- a kid recently. <laughs> Um, uh, 
Adrian was in the back and she laughed. And Adrian, she's a, she's a pretty lady, but she has a big laugh. So it wasn't just like, <laughs> it was like ah! and I, I used to have the tape. Man, I used to have the tape of this and, and to watch the tape. I remember even as a young comedian, I could watch that tape and I can see a switch. Come on. I can see a glow come over me. I can see that is the exact moment when I said there is no turning back. There is nothing that can come between me and, and, and this moment again. I have to have this as much as possible. And for the rest of the set, I got more laughs, but I to to see to watch that tape and see no laughs and laughs to see what am I doing to the beginning and the makings of something you can see it in that tape and uh, I don't know where that tape is <laughs> I wish I could see it just so I, I sometimes I like to look at young me but most of the time I don't but I'd like to see that tape because you can literally see a switch click for me and uh, yeah no nerves. It's all preparation. If you prepared, there's no nerves. I come to do work. That's how I look at it. Awesome. Yeah. Who are your favorite influences? And I'm asking this question for a different reason than I know people always probably yeah. ask your favorite comedians, but I've got a different reason to ask that question after you tell me. My favorite influences are probably comedians you, you would never know. Comedians you won't hear of until I say them just now. Uh, and that's because I was able to work in a comedy club and uh, even more so than that. Um, and this is something for I want any comic that's listening to this to hear. You have to do your research. Comedy didn't just start from, with the Internet and the stuff you're looking at on the Internet. There are people who came way before that that helped shape what stand up is today. And yeah, okay, you have some views on the internet and people are starting to hire you to do stand up. You need to take a very serious and and uh hard look at, at the people that was on that stage before you. Because that means something. That means a lot. So when I was a young comedian, I I, I I don't know what made me realize that, but, you know, I, I've, I came to that conclusion and I studied, you know, I wasn't able to see Red Fox live and Richard Pryor live, but these are some of the people who've influenced me. Uh, um, let's go. Uh, we got Rodney Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause you, you don't expect that to come out of a black guy's mouth, but classic, classic one liners. You do not want to battle line for line with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> you do not want to battle. Uh, Martin Lawrence uh, and I say him uh, uh, real close to Rodney because I found a, a Martin Lawrence tape when I was young and uh, you know what I refound it when I was young in comedy so I was young had the tape lost it refound it again when I just started comedy and to listen to it and uh, it made me realize I was on a good path because some of the jokes he was saying I was starting to write down you know he's like oh he already said it but Martin already said it, you know, those realizations. Uh, so that, like I said, everything is confidence that helped build confidence. Um, of course, Eddie Murphy, uh, Richard Pryor. Um, 
I'm trying to name people you would know, but let's no, name some other anybody. people. Like, <clears throat> there's a comedian by the name of Michael Carrier out of uh, Chicago, Illinois. He's been doing comedy so, for, for a while now, I'll say that. Uh, very professional, and I learned a lot of professionalism from him because Michael Carrier will go to Venice Beach out there uh, uh, um, uh, in California and stand there and deliver his jokes to the point where he would gather a crowd to the... From that one crowd, he developed a timed show where every week or every day he would come and there would be a crowd there. He would summon his own crowd, comedy show type crowd. That's that's unspeakable nowadays for some of these comics, you know, uh, uh. And always professional, always, always. Was uh, he Chicago or L.A.? Where you he's Chicago. Him? He lives in L.A. now, uh, but he's from Chicago. Uh, David Arnold out of uh, 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 Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he writes for uh, um, Fuller House now. Very, very, very funny writer. He was one of the first people I saw scrap a set. Like, I'm done with this set. That's it. Not have another joke and we got to piece the new jokes in there. He said, I'm scrapping this set and I'm going to take these lumps on the stage. And I saw him take some lumps. But the bravery behind that, the sheer courage to say, I'm just going to start over from nothing, you know. I do that now to this day because of David, you know, when I'm like, I'm done with these, you know. There's just some other names. Like I said, my brother, Rodney Perry, uh, there are tons of comedians, man. Especially nowadays, there are tons of comedians. I ain't, I'm not gonna even go keep going. Lots of comedians. <laughs> Has your brother seen you perform? Yeah, we used to <clears throat> tour a lot. Um, oh no, kidding. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, elevated myself to a uh, uh, national headliner status. Uh, being that he was already a headliner, you know, I've been doing comedy at that point. When did we start traveling? I think I was like four years in, and uh, we started traveling, doing all the improvs and everything like that. Yeah, we work well together. To see me and my brother, you think I have energy. <laughs> you think I, I got it from somewhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a powerhouse show. It's very few people that I even work with nowadays that I open up for. David Arnold and Kim Whitley, good friends of mine. Rodney Perry, uh, Tony Roberts. Uh, Tony Roberts, I mean... I had to look you in the eye when I said that name. This man is the most funniest man I've ever seen. And it's just, uh, it's just sheer energy on that stage. It's just, it's, I've never seen anything like this. But he's one of the few people I'll open up for. I'm, I consider myself to be a powerhouse myself. So I'm not going to continue to, you know, I don't want to open up for someone who's not going to uh, ever allow me to open up for them again. Let's not make any more enemies. So, Level up, Ryan. You're a headliner. You might not be able to move around every weekend like some of the big big names, but for now, work with whoever you, you want to, rather you can. And that's what I've been doing in my career lately. I've been changing it from uh, what do you want to do, Ryan, to well, who, can y'all hire me? Can, can I work here? Can I work there? Like, do you want to work there, Ryan? You know, I, I'm at a point in my career where I can say that. So, you know, but that comes from the work that comes from the reps and the work and the suffering, you know, you, you got to put in the time because I think anything artistic or anything where there's people voting with their dollars, mm-hmm. if you don't have the skill, you're not going to make the cut, whether it's sports or art, or if you're not funny, you're not getting booked. That sounds great. That is so like, I can hear 
Disney horns playing <laughs> <laughs> when you wish upon a star. You can if, wish all you want. If you don't yes. work, it's not going to happen. Yes and no. <clears throat> like, this is a different day and age. Like, I think where you and I come from, as far as an entertainment feels, we are used to the work. You have to work. Why are you here if you're not working in this entertainment field? I think nowadays it's different. You don't have to work. I think some of the audience appreciates that you kind of got over without the work. Examples. In my field, you have uh, people who can, you know, do some things on their phone, get a bunch of views, and now they're working the comedy clubs where I've worked hard to get in. You know what I mean? But... They walk right in. No jokes, no professionalism, nothing. Don't even know what to do on the stage, right? The crowd comes and they'll pay an absurd amount of money for these people. Me, I'm a $20 ticket. I'm cool with that. $30, $45 for these internet sensations, right? And they come in and they clean up. No jokes, no nothing, right? To the point where the audience is disappointed. I don't know if I want to go see live comedy anymore. You know, I went to see such and such and they wasn't that funny. And that's what that's how that those ripples happen. So. Number one. The clubs in my field used to support the comedians a lot better. If you are funny, you are talented. You were being placed to the pedestal uh, when uh, execs or someone's, hey, who's your funny guy here? We're looking for the people to be on the show. You have a list right here. This guy's the funniest, the second funniest, third funniest, so on and so forth. Because They've done the work. Nowadays, it's all in who can bring the most people. You know, you can't be funny if you don't have enough people. That's the logic behind the audience members. And it's all been put into the uh, club's hands and their mindset has changed from let me help this guy or let me mold this next person to, you know, whoever brings the uh, the most people to my club is the funniest. No, no, no matter what they've done. And it kind of affects comedy, like I'm saying, to a bigger portion. The audience is, is learning or were, was learning that this is comedy. This guy who I saw on the internet, he's now doing the internet stuff on the stage. I'm not that entertained, but <laughs> this is comedy, you know, and that's training them. <clears throat> at least it was. I say was because now we're in the what I call the, the double up season. Now you have to come Come back and ask me to give you again thirty five to forty five dollars. And I've seen your act and I wasn't amused. So now you're kind of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it blares to the audience like I would like to see some talented comics because I went last year and I saw that guy. You know, and I paid $35 and $40 and that guy wasn't that good. He didn't even try. He didn't even have any jokes. I want to see some talent. So I think we're getting to a season where, like you said initially, talent is going to rise to the top. To the top. Those people who are working hard, they're going to start getting those accolades that are easy as picking up a cricket phone can do. You know what I mean? It's, I think comedy is just losing to a lot of other genres and we're having to blend in. Stand-up comedy doesn't blend in. So to me, and it's me being passionate probably, but stand-up comedy is the pivotal point. That's where everything's come from. You can't have drama without comedy. You know, it's yin and yang. This is the yang that is always over overlooked, you know what I mean? So... <clears throat> 
it's 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 a serious thing to to that degree. But I think you know when you're able to pick up a phone and do some funny stuff, and and now you're headlining at a club that I've been working at for four years, and I'm I have to open up for you. You know what I mean? That's insulting <laughs> to everything I've done. You know what I mean? And then next week the hypnotist is gonna be doing some stuff. <laughs> the, dog, the dog jugglers and things. I don't know. Oh God. <laughs> Ventriloquists. Exactly. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. <laughs> My beloved comedy club is filled with every act. You'll be surprised. And it's like the work, it means stuff, but you gotta put them asses in the seats. That's true. That's what it is. <laughs> So what's your what's your writing process? Take me through how you craft a joke. I mean, are there are there ones that you just lay down that are perfect or do most of them go through a lot of iterations, a lot of reviews? I think I did a joke. Some jokes write themselves like uh, uh, that night I was working on just an observational joke about Denver and. You know, saying how they had the Japanese kite flying, the fifth annual Japanese kite flying. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there were no Japanese people there, <laughs> and that just stood out to me. Like some jokes, like that, write themselves. The reggae fest is coming, and there are no black people on the card, and that's that's alarming to me. Like, I didn't, I, I, I need to see a black person at the reggae fest. <laughs> But, you know, like I said, those just write themselves. Sometimes I just want to make a point, a valid point. Um, how, uh, for example, communication is important in relationships. You can say that, but how is it? How is it? And how is it different from the last guy who just said it is, you know? So I pick angles at that point. Communication is is is, is necessary uh, in relationships. You hear that all the time. Like old people say that, you know, you ask them, you got to talk to each other, baby, you know. <laughs> but who says that, though? Every time you ask, it's always the lady. It's always the lady. If it's the guy, you can tell he's just echoing it because she's right there. So now I'm finding an angle, you know, uh, uh, communication it seems like something like a woman would make up you know we need to talk like i am talking to you like (laughs) we need to communicate like yeah this is something a woman would make up you know so now the angle is forming and the joke is coming out of it already in itself what do i want to make behind all of this i have a good idea of a joke i want to make now uh it seems like the, the term communication is something a woman made of, you know, something to get you to talk more. We just talk like, do you want something from the store? I'm going to the store. No, we just talked. That was a full conversation. You know what I mean? Like a woman wants more than that, you know, because she has other people talking to her in her head <laughs> that have other questions. Like what store? Are you driving my car or your car? Like, what are you going to get for yourself? So the jokes start writing itself. But what, like, like I said to you earlier, all these chairs and tables are aiming at me. What do I want to say with this joke? Where does this fit into my set? Uh, for me, that's why I start formulating other jokes. That joke is a like a more of a relationship joke or something like that, and it takes a standpoint from a guy's per, uh, perspective, so to speak. Like communication is something a woman made up. 
so eventually, being that most of the crowd is going to, 70% of the crowd is women. That's what come to comedy clubs and comedy shows. 70% of the crowd is women. I'm eventually going to have to turn this joke on myself. It has to be on me before the end of it. Otherwise, why am I saying it in front of all these women? <laughs> so you see, as racing now, the joke is kind of making itself. And I'm already racing to another joke. That's just with one scenario. Because uh, I'm giving away too much right here. Uh, <laughs> other scenarios, like I said, write themselves, and sometimes, like I, 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 it'll be something that happens in my life, and I could just simply just not even have to write it down. I could simply just state that on the stage, and it's just, it's just something relatable, and uh, people pick up on it real well. But for the most part, I start with like a list. I'll write a, a, a love list. I write a hate list. You know, I love this. I hate this. It can be about anything. And then sometimes I'll write just an idea list. Uh, sometimes I'll write just a popular list. I call it the pop list. I just see what everybody's talking about. I watch Wendy Williams and TMZ. Mm-hmm. See what everybody's talking about. And I'll pick the most relatable ideas that I can factually talk about. Now, even though, you know, uh, certain things I might make up, that doesn't mean it doesn't come from fact. It's from my idea. Uh, Going along with communication, I think people should communicate. It is important to display this fact. I, I paint a picture with a joke about a woman wearing a wig to a roller coaster ride where she should have talked to me. You should have talked to me about a helmet of hair. Uh, and then, I remember that one. Yeah. As you go through this, your set's rolling back. And right. And it, Sorry to joke, interrupt. No, 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 please. It's all good. That joke is merely to explain the concept of communication, but it's dressed so well in all this other stuff, the wig flying off and, you know, what are we going to do after? It's dressed so well in this other stuff that it makes it light enough that you digest it very well. All she had to do was say something about the wig. <laughs> you know, it just makes it able to digest. I don't want to spoon feed you comedy, but I also don't want, I don't like, you know, uh, the I'm talking over your head comic. I'm using all these intellectual words and over your head words and things like that. If you don't laugh, it's because you're not intellectual. Something's wrong with you. I don't like that. People don't come to be ridiculed as an audience. And God. That's just wrong. I want everybody to have fun and get it. What's the what's the biggest room you've ever played? Uh, like I said, I was a DJ. The biggest room I ever played was at a, as a DJ. My DJ name was DJ. Wait a minute, Mister J. Anthony Brown. J. Anthony Brown gave me that name. Very very funny comedian. Uh, he gave me that name because he would come on the stage and I would be playing a song for him and then he would ask for another song and you need to talk to me before <laughs> and let me know you're going to do that and he would oh man the DJ he'll get it y'all give it up for him DJ wait a minute he, he got it <laughs> you just gotta wait a minute you know and it grew on me so my name was DJ wait a minute and um I honestly would say I was one of the better comedy DJs in town because I was uh, more than uh, a DJ. I was studying comedy and didn't realize it. Uh, comedy wasn't the plan. Like once I started DJing, I was like, I'm going to be the DJ of the world. Everybody is going to be rocking with me. Right. <laughs> you know, that was my plan. I just got to get better at it because I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and uh, comedy bit like uh, like this. 
I started realizing that comics were coming upstairs to ask me about their sets, you know, upstairs to the DJ booth. I'm like, why are you asking me? They're like, you watch it every night. You watch us all the time. You know my set front and back. And I'm like, I do. I know it word for word. So I start studying from there. You know what I mean? And uh, that relationship with the comics enabled to open up uh, um, something that kind of really got me on my way with a comedian by the name of Brandon T. Jackson. You ever seen Tropic Thunder? The black guy, yeah. He, uh, Brandon T. Jackson, very... About ten times I've seen that movie. Yeah, one of my favorites, too. <clears throat> very funny guy. He's, uh, what's his latest thing he did? Al Pacino was his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he called me from the set of that movie. That was amazing, you know. He's like, they just did the biggest flows, and you can feel it. Like, I wasn't even on the set, but you can feel it. Anyway, Brandon took me, like, he's been in, in the uh, entertainment business for well over 20 years but Brandon's young guy you know he started when he was young like 13 14 you know doing big shows so when he uh was young he started you know they had uh, the kings of comedy and the queens of comedy he started the teens of comedy where he took some comedians you know that were teenage and around that age on the road and because he was working at the club i was working at he had like a tuesday or wednesday night and he worked out a lot of music cues with dj wait a minute when it got time to go on the road, he took me on the road and he introduced me to my biggest crowd that I've stood in front of. It was, it, it, it was just 5,000. It's not that wow. much, but to see 5,000 is like, wow. Now, how about this? Good friend of mine. I've known him for years. Kevin, Kevin Hart. He came recently to do the Pepsi Center. Now, that's 17,000 people. That puts your whole life in perspective. Like, I've taken so many wrong turns. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm here, but I've taken so many wrong turns. But, you know, that's the biggest crowd. Kevin Hart will never do this podcast. You know what? He never will. (laughs) You take that burn, Mr. Hart. The whole Hart household. <laughs> like that's the the luxury I had of starting comedy in Los Angeles and my brother being a comedian already. Some of his friends became my friends and uh you know, some of my my peers are the people you see on TV and on TV shows and everything like that. It's just amazing to see it all. You know, from my perspective as well as from, from theirs, you know. We have a lot of the same influences. I remember watching Martin, um, Cedric, mm-hmm. Bernie Mac, mm-hmm. Eddie, Richard, all those people. I mean, we had a lot of the same influences in comedy and it was, that's kind of cool to hear. Yeah. I think it was just like back then, I think it was just more in tune with the, you know, it wasn't so much of a variety of comedy. We're more in tune with that in, intelligent style, you know, the down to earth, intelligent, able to talk to a room. You know, as if, like you said, you're in his living room or her, excuse me. I know we're in a new age, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, as if you're just intimately talking to him. I think uh, some comics, and I won't lie to you, the comics I came up with are like that. This is how we are. There's a lot of comics like me. Uh, But this new age of comedy style, they don't even know how. They don't even know how to you know, articulate how they feel, let alone, you know, make it okay for the whole room to accept it. You know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know where we're going, but we have, to, whoever the older comics are, myself included, we have to start shaping it better. I know that. How would you do that? 
We have to give them something to shoot for. I mean, my girl was talking about that today. There is nothing to shoot for as a comedian right now. Like when comedy was what we, you know, Martin and all those things, what we know it was. You had shows, you had uh, mm. comedy shows out. You had uh, more than just one, you know, uh, network show. But also, you know, now there's not so much for a stand-up comedian, but there are a lot of networks. And I think people, you know, uh, some of my peers that, you know, have a lot of acting background, they're shooting for, you know, I got to get on Netflix and I got to get on uh, NBC. And there's a great station by the name of True TV or even, you know, some some little wax station that pays just the same, you know, and give you a great opportunity. We got to start looking at the whole entire television is our avenue uh, rather than just rushing to the Internet and trying to blow up there. There's so many other things, so many other things. I think. um I just give them something to, to to move towards. Uh, I've noticed here in this town, just Denver alone, there is nothing, nothing to shoot for. There's nothing to even comb your beard out for. You know, people don't even get dressed <laughs> when they come to comedy shows. They look stinky and ragged. And that's a, that's a direct slap to my beloved comedy. You at least have to look like an entertainer rather than look like less than an audience member. You know what I mean? So if you walk in looking like, oh, I have a dollar for you, sir, then that's the type of reception you're going to get from the audience. They're going to treat you like non-talent. And and it's not, a, I'm not faulting anything or anyone for that in this particular town. But I can say that in a month in this town, there are 50 shows. And that's that's fact. Like you can look that up. 50 shows, and they put at least seven comics on the show. Now, you did the math, right? You, you, you were good at math back in the day. How many is that? That's uh, seven times. That's 350, right? In just this town. <clears throat> I'm not saying in Los Angeles or, or Chicago or New York, one of these mecca comedy places. Just this town, right? Not one of them, or at least a couple of them, are coming together to put their multitudes of shows together, the 50 shows. Let's do 40 and make 10 of these shows one show where you can charge audience, give them a good show. You know, just because you you have a room don't mean you need to be on the show. You know, you can't wear all these hats. Be a comic or be a promoter. You shouldn't do two. Uh, most people can't do two here. I'll say that. But just putting your shows together alone will give the comic something to shoot for, something to get dressed for, something to write a great set for, rather than just talk about, you know, weird stuff. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff out here they talk about. (laughs) I haven't figured that part out, but, you know, you know, give them something to shoot for uh, television or something like I'd like to. And I've been thinking about it, but, you know, I'd like to, like, I know a lot of executive producers and things like that out in Los Angeles. You know, it wouldn't be nothing for to record a, a show of comics doing their sets and send it out there to them. That's nothing. But I'm not going to record you looking itchy on camera. You know, if you don't <laughs> comb your beard, if you're not going to, you know, uh, uh, 
act professional. I can't I can't put my stamp on that and send it to anyone. And that's the thing. There's nothing to shoot for as far as professionalism. It's just what they see, what they know. I think I'm one of the few comics in this town that is kind of like I wasn't originally from here and I kind of moved here because my girl was here and it's the middle of America. I still fly anywhere I need to. And I thought it was a great look. But coming here, I feel like I think I'm one of the few comedians that is really trying to push comedy forward. I think um, not so much here. Tell me what you think about that. Do you see a lot of comedy here? I'm starting to. Yeah, since I've been and when I say doing improv, like it's this is like uh, still a zygote, like an infant. Right. I've been doing Uh it for about a year, but in getting into that and then hanging out with more people that that is a form of entertainment. Mm -hmm. I go see a lot more like in the past year, I've seen more comedy everywhere from like a bar on Broadway to seeing you to going to comedy works next uh, Wednesday for a fundraiser. But it's on my radar now because sort of seeing it and being exposed to it, like it's something that I would rather do than go see a movie. Best form of live entertainment. I always say that. What is your interpretation of the comedy in this town? I think it's good. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of data points to go see. Like you were great. I uh, saw these guys. He was a, a touring headliner at uh, grandma's house. I can't remember his name. Grandma's house. It's this tiny bar on Broadway and it's Broadway in like South of Louisiana. And it's, um, it's about as big as this place. And it's decorated with just grandma trash is what I would call. (laughs) There are about five, four or five shows on Broadway in the course of a week. Why not put them all together? That's a brilliant idea. It's not that brilliant. It's really obvious. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably why nobody's doing it is that it's an easy idea. So a comic wouldn't have to go across town, put gas in that car to come to grandma's room, which is probably a great room, all the culture and everything that's in that room but culture aside this is my livelihood I have to make money on this and if you don't have a way of providing that then you're not really doing it I'm not trying to shoot down comedy in this town I know that sounds like it but I wanted to I want them like I, I was talking to another comic today and that's exactly this is probably why this is on my mind because that's what they were saying they were depressed. They have nothing to shoot for. That's why them words just came out of my mouth. They said the exact words. I have nothing to shoot for. And that's sad because I started coming in Los Angeles. Like, I don't know. I don't even know how to comprehend that. You know what I mean? With this big TV, I don't know how to comprehend there's nothing to shoot for. There's always something to shoot for. But in this town, I feel like they might be like kind of disoriented because there there is nothing to shoot for so they're kind of just slamming into each other oh you got a show on Broadway me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah how many open mic nights can we really have exactly. in Denver right exactly and you're you're a professional right this is your passion your career this and is what I do for a you living. work I at it you it. should get paid for it right and if yeah. it's all sorts of you know beer league softball out there <laughs> nobody it's not helping anybody I totally see your point yeah it's just, you know, I understand there's a place for every genre and every style and every uh, level of comedy. But, you know, 
I think there there's no place for me to kind of like have a good like unless I go to an improv or comedy works, you know, where there's a big crowd and they come to laugh and they didn't, you know, at the bar, you're like, yeah, you can come and get a drink and oh, here comes a comedy show. And it's like, you didn't expect it. You're not in the right mind frame for it, anything. But if you come to a comedy show, you're ready for it. And it's just, that's what I'm more in tune to. I've done it all. Like I performed in backyards and everything. I've done it all. But it's just. That it should be more than just those big entities if you got like 50 rooms. Just put 10 of them together and make some money. Come on. It's almost like you need a, not a union, but like just a, a mindset, right? Like let's all, all, yeah, let's help each other out. That's all. Well, we came to see you with intent. Like it was not, we're just going to go have a beer. Like that, the show that night was why we were there. Wow. Not to have beer and like stumbled upon some comedy. Like we went there to go see that. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Didn't know I was going to be that, did you? No. Okay. Because I'm not the detail guy. <laughs> there, there's somebody else like Sue that, you know, ask the, Handle the, ask details. the questions, the details, right? I'm the talent. Yeah. I just show up. I don't need to know <laughs> when and where. <laughs> that was a great spot, though. Like, there's a lot of these little spots that I like here. I just, I, I don't want them to think that that's it as far as comedy. Some of those comedians that are performing just in those spots. I don't want them to think that's it. That's some major work you can do and it doesn't have to be strictly in this town you can go two towns over and make $1,500 and you know I make a lot of money in this town and I want them to know rather than I make a lot of money you don't are you saying you got to be able to help your own community I'm trying to so what would turn that around? Like if you were going to magic wand this, what would you want to see in Denver? You talked about the organization, what probably less shows, more people at the shows. And then just kind of everybody can <clears throat> call themselves a comic. There was an open mic on Monday where there were 50 comedians that went up. That should not be allowed. <laughs> that should not be allowed because of whoever, whoever stayed there to the end that had to suffer through Let's say let's say 30 of them were good comedians. 20 of them weren't. <laughs> and you had to <laughs> suffer through that. You know what I mean? That part should be eliminated. Um, yeah, it should be held with more prestige. You can't just walk around saying you're a comedian just because you performed in a bar. You, 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 when I was coming up, I couldn't perform on a weekend because I was new. When I walked into a club on a weekend, I would have to sit to the side. I could lean in and look at the show, that type of thing. I would be more audience, more uh, crowd than comedian. That discipline helped me to realize, or at least not realize, it gave me a, a kind of respect for comedy and what it is. And I think that discipline is not so much had nowadays, or at least not in this town. Like, um, I perform at the improv all the time, you know, and I never see another comedian there. Like, you know, it would pass through. When I was young, I would pass through any room I can to get some kind of tutelage or knowledge or something like that. Never see that. Uh, I work the improv every weekend and never see another comic pass through. Like, you got to study your craft. You can't just walk up and just talk the weird stuff and use the shock value. I would I would um, lessen the rooms, make the rooms mean more. Uh, bars and uh, breweries are great, but it's not a proper setting for a comedy show. It's a proper setting for drinking. 
So I would uh, push towards more um, theater-like venues and make these guys work together, communicate, so they'll know who's funny in the town and who's not. You know, the guy who uh, put me on that show that you were at, he hadn't seen me until like a couple weeks before. I've been living here seven years, and I've been to every room. They got a whole website. These are all, that's how I know how many rooms. I've been to all the rooms, and it's like... Um, I think I've grown to intimidate some of the people to the point where they don't, you know, call me too often. They'll book me like once every two years, which is ridiculous. Uh, uh, And blatant. That part needs to change. If you're not as funny as the next person, that don't mean you don't work with it. I mean, you work more with that person. Right. The mindset of that needs to change. Um, just because you're in the corner of the town in your little bar and you're able to make your five friends laugh every month on your show doesn't make you a comedian. Invite other people. When I came to that show, it's going to sound bad. I don't care. I don't care. It's going to sound bad. When I came to your show, that show, you should have known who I I was uh, as a 14 year veteran who has TV credits and uh, tons of experience. And uh, the latest credits alone, you should have known before I even got there. And if you had known, you might have paid. You might have paid to come see me to get in that bar, even if it was three dollars, even if it was five dollars. Absolutely. Now, the bar had already made money. It's going to get a guy a budget to pay me and everything like that. But. Look at the extra money you could have made by just advertising that this is not a regular guy we're going to have on this show. This is a real professional. It sounds arrogant to say, but it's business. I've run the same shows they're running in Compton, where the the market is not as strong. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I've run shows for years in the same places. I've I've seen it work in Los Angeles, where people do not move if one drop of water come from the sky. So I understand the, the, the process of, you know, getting people in and making money. And I just feel like, you know, here, I don't think they're more in tune with the process of, uh, making a comedy community. And here's the thing. Nobody's going to participate in your community if you don't have any money. That's the object of comedy, to be famous and to make money behind it. If you're doing it for any other reason, you're occupying space. That sounds harsh, huh? <laughs> I don't mean that's, it to sound that's harsh. That's any business, though. That's anything. Like, um, it's like you're playing, you're playing your piano, right? You're just learning how to play the piano, right? Or did you say you played before? I played a little bit, and I, it's something I want to do more of, but yeah. If you go to the piano bar where all the best piano players in town play and demand a spot on that stage, are you right because you have a piano? <laughs> or are you wrong because you know you're novice and you shouldn't be in this room? Well, I'm I'm wrong because I have the same mindset you do. Yes. I would never consider going on an open mic because I know I suck. <laughs> you're probably way awful. better than what you're giving yourself. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> but I don't hear you being arrogant. What I hear you saying is like an effective marketing plan. I hear you talking about exposure, business. And it's like, absolutely. They should have advertised your credentials. And I didn't know who you were because, again, I... Just said, hey, we're going to go see comedy. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But if I had 
been a little bit more organized and taken a look. It's like, oh, there's these guys. Oh, well, obviously Ryan Evans is going to point me to this. Then had I looked at that and found you via Google or whatever, I'd have been amped for that. I was like, this guy's this guy's got some credentials. And gives but you that's room. his fault for not pushing that out. It's not his fault. I, I used to do that, too. When I was here for like first couple of years, quick to point a finger at you. It's your fault. You're messing up. You're stupid. And it's not necessarily that particular person's fault. The mindset is 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 not just his. It's throughout the city. So it's not his and hers and his and hers fault. It's wherever they got that mindset from. That's to blame, so to speak, or something that needs to be uh, altered. Uh, I would say it's the 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 shoot for the things that they do have to shoot for in this town. Only two entities, there's only two clubs. You know, comedy works, improv. Those are only two things that pay you in this town as a comedian. So those two entities have to change, and I think the change that they need to do. It's just it's sweet for a comedy club. You got a real sweet deal. It's five hundred. It's five hundred comics here. I don't have to pay any of you guys. You don't want to do it for free. I'll go to the next person. The comics don't realize that they're being had like that. Mm. They shock and fight for position in these in these entities for little to no money. Uh, when these entities can really pay you enough, you know what I mean. Uh, that's one aspect. The other aspect is they don't, you know, like I said, back in the day, the club would uh, put their funny people on pedestals. You know, this is our guy. The club stamps this guy. You know, they don't do that here. You know, most clubs don't do a period. But just to keep it specific here, they don't do that here. They don't have to. I would rather you fight amongst yourselves. And they'll do that because they don't know any better. Now, you get into these entities and they only give you two minutes. You'll only get two minutes. Sir, you call for six months and they give you two minutes after those six months. You call and you go down there, downtown, pay for parking for six months. And then they give you two minutes. And after that two minutes, you wait for another six months to get another two minutes. And they keep you going through this for years. Years. So in the process of, let's say, just one year, you've only learned how to do four minutes worth of material in front of a decent sized crowd that isn't grandma's shack. You know what I'm saying? These are how the two entities are kind of housing you and moving you into position. I'm not putting anybody uh, above, not necessarily above, but into play like uh, NBC. This is our guy. We want to we want you to look at this guy. I don't have to do that. I can I can shuffle amongst all of you people because as the entity, my money comes from food and liquor. I can bring in just to give an A-list name, Dave Chappelle, and he'll pack my place out. You, local person, don't even matter. You can be just as non-funny with your four minutes as you possibly can be, and it doesn't matter. I can keep rotating you. Your talent level doesn't matter, and I'm here to see you. I'm not developing you. You don't know anything past two minutes. So that person says, fine. Fine, screw you. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to make my own so I can develop my own comedy and I'm going to find my own room. And they go and they look around and they scour the city and they find 
grandma's room and they go in there and they throw that trash around and they invite everybody in and it's the culture is great there it's great you feel a bit of culture there not so much comedy but culture you feel culture there and i think that's what they're trying to hold on to if i bring a culture to a room that brings the other comics in i'll be respected I'll be uh, uh, respected enough in this town to the point where I can stand on the words, I am a comic. And you, you do that for yourself, and then you give that to the next comic that's coming up after you. And then that comic does that to the next comic, and so on and so forth. Nobody's even thinking to elevate themselves into a headliner status. The town is making openers. That's it. Nothing bigger than that. So it would be the entities, the bigger... The people, the, the, the entities or higher powers that can, uh, uh, what I say, uh, give them something to shoot for. Those people have to change that. It sounds weird, I'm sure, from the outside looking in, but it's a, it's a that's how it is. This city, that's how it is. No, I had no idea, but it makes sense. It's almost like there's, um, it's all farm team, right? It's all double A, single A. and it's not elevating up to the talent. And if there was like a, I don't want to say like a barrier, but if it was like, if every show was five bucks or 10 bucks or something, and Mm -hmm. the people would pay that because it was either good talent or they stopped paying it because there was no talent. I think that would level that off. It's, Mm -hmm. it's economics. It sounds like. It'll make you rise to the top. I can't book you because the people say they're not going to pay $5 to see you. You can either not do comedy anymore or you can get better. That's, I mean, that's the harsh reality of it. And I think here, they keep you soft, you know. Oh, you're not that funny, but it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like it does. It, it, that's what it is. You have to be funny. You know, <laughs> I think I've heard someone say that. You weren't that good, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it matters the world. Yes, it does. Well, it's the difference between an open mic or like a free open mic or shelling out 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you and I would happily pay 20 bucks to see you. To me, that's a deal, right? But yeah. like, there's zero risk for an open mic. Like if it's going to happen with or without me and it's free, well, maybe go, maybe not. Maybe I find something on TV, but if I'm paying a ticket, I'm going to go. You want to see some talent. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm engaged. You've got my money and I want my return for that. It's just giving them something to shoot for. What I used to do in my open mic in Compton was put a bucket down. And they do the bucket thing here, but they do it after. Just trying to keep the culture. You're missing the money. Trying to keep the culture, you'll put the bucket down after. So you pass the bucket around. If you could tip the show, that'd be great. You know? And people put in a dollar here and there, and the whole show will make maybe $50. And you got to divvy up. Divvy that $50 up amongst seven comedians that were on the show. <laughs> Stupid. What I would do is I would put a bucket down and I would train my audience or at least tell them this is a tip show. If you enjoy the comic, you tip them. You put the money in the bucket. If you don't, (laughs) don't tip them, you know? And this concept came to me when I saw it in someone else's room. I was down on my luck, no money, hungry in Los Angeles. 
And somebody told me about a show. No gas. I made it there. And I didn't know that they were doing this bucket thing. So I'm telling the joke. And first joke got the laugh. And somebody got up and started walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I'm in Compton. This is another Compton show. I'm like, what's going to happen? And he walked up to me. And he took hand out of his pocket. And he threw the money at me. Like ball of money, threw it at me. And it hit me, bounced, it hit the floor. I didn't know what to do. He turned around and walked back to his seat. I said, Oh, is that what's going on here? And everybody, like, Yeah, we tipped the show. The most electrifying show came out of me that night <laughs> because I needed that money. I instantly had something to shoot for. And, and it changed my whole demeanor. It went from stationary, anchor, you know, on the mic stand to, so where's everybody from, you know? <laughs> I, I want more money. So that concept would be, the bucket concept would be better in that aspect. You tip the person rather than the show. And you tip the person, you'll see. It, it, that you don't have to ask anybody. When you hit the bottom of that bucket and nothing falls out, there's no question you sucked that night. <laughs> you couldn't even get a dollar. And the audience uh, will understand that they're not like, you know, got to spend a lot of money. And they understand that they got in for free. You know, so what I would do with my comedy show is uh, I would book a couple of people who I know can do pretty well. You know, have them make sure they come down so my show wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know what's going to happen. An open mic, you don't know who's going to show up. You want to give everybody a chance. But just so I wouldn't know what's going to happen, I would make sure to book one or two people I know would bring some fire. And just the show is for the people. It's not for the comics to kind of, you know, I have my own show, so I host it every time. And, you know, you come see me here. It's not for you to be doing that. It's, it's the show is for the people. No matter what big room, small room you in, your job is those people who paid to see. Even if they didn't pay, people came to see. That's your job. So all this for the culture <laughs> and don't even know comedy culture this is for the comedy culture we have the best comedy culture here in Denver like, do you well you're not doing this to put it on your Facebook status that you're a comedian like this is your this is your this passion is this is your livelihood man uh, comedy and uh, acting I just recently got into acting uh, here in uh, Colorado I'm going to brag for a second uh, this I, is I, your show I just recently uh, put into a very very prestigious uh, um, film festival. Well, project, they call it starting off. It's a 48-hour film project. Most people haven't heard of it, but once uh, I get to explaining it to people, they're like, I have kind of heard of that. Uh, the 48-hour film project is basically what it sounds like. You get 48 hours to make a short film, five to eight minutes. They tell you a certain line, a certain name uh, or character, and a certain prop that has to be in it. And you got to work it. So we worked it. Me and uh, my team, big shout to uh, uh, Matt and Shauna. Not you, Matt, but there's another Matt. And, and Shauna and, and Deanna and Steve and Peter. Everybody else who I'm not naming that was in on this film we created called Carrier. We won. We won big. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, I won. Uh <laughs> It's funny to me because I'm a comedian, but I want best actor. It's a suspense drama, suspense. What was it? Suspense thriller. No comedy. And I want best actor. Congratulations. Man. It That's tickles awesome. me because I didn't see it coming. Thank you. Thank you. 
And uh, it's still in film festivals and things like that. Um, Where can we see that? Uh, you can come to my page as of now because it's still in film festivals. I can't okay. really put it out individually, but go to my Facebook page, Ryan Evans, and uh, it should be up there. I've been putting it up for the last couple of days. Get some tissue because it's going to be emotional. And it's, yeah, it's right there on my page, uh, the 48-Hour Film Festival. Uh, because we won here in Denver for the 48-Hour Film Festival, we were entered into Filmapalooza, which is a big global film festival. And they're going to have that uh, in March in Orlando, Florida. Um yeah, that's just, yeah. I have that in uh, a couple of festivals and I've been doing commercials here. Like, I think I'm working a lot because I'm I'm black in Denver and they don't have a lot of black people to choose from. So it's just like, yeah, that guy. And, you know, I've been working a lot. I've been doing a lot of commercials here, little Chili's and uh, uh, Rosetta Stone ads and things like that. I just did a Honda commercial. That's right. Uh, I don't think they're going to air it here, though. I think it's going to be like a for North and South Carolina, but honestly, that's a lot of the reason why I'm why I'm still here in Denver. I love Denver. I love Denver, and the people here are awesome. It's just that I'm a stand up comic, and I have to work, and this is kind of stifling me comedically. But acting, I'm like Denzel here. I'm the Denzel of Denver. <laughs> <laughs> really like I, I almost don't want to leave that portion of it because I know like you know when I used to live in Los Angeles so once I move back I know what it's going to be like no more acting you know every time I go on audition you're not it's gonna Denzel be like, yeah no <laughs> more Denzel it's 17 <laughs> of me walking in they're all taller and handsomer and all this stuff so you know I'm just trying to get my resume beefed up as much as I can but Acting has turned out to be like comedy. It's moving fast like my comedy did in the beginning. Like, um, I was on TV within a year of doing uh, stand-up. And, like, my f- like directly after signing with an agent, I was on, I was the principal character on somebody's brand video. So, it's, it's, it's exciting. That's all I can say right now. I just wanted to say that was my braggadocious moment. Well, congratulations, man. Yes. I mean, did you get get to give a speech for the best actor? No, I wanted to so bad, but I didn't. Here's the thing. I didn't know they had that as like as an award, best actor. I thought it was just going to be like, OK, we're here at this festival, the last part of this festival to see which film goes on to the big global portion. So it was like, all right, um, at the end, we're running out of time, so we're going to do this quickly. Uh, best lighting goes to best sound. And we got we got best director, writing, uh, movie, actress, and actor. So there was like best writing, best movie. And I'm standing up clapping for because there's on the other side. I'm clapping, I'm clapping, right? And I, I'm sitting back down and Sue's sitting next to me because she makes fun of my face the whole time. Because I didn't know this was coming. And best actor, right? No. And I looked at her, and I wanted to cry, but it was just like not in front of everybody, Ryan. And uh, I got up, and I stood up, and a couple people had to point to me like, yeah, it's really happening. And I didn't know what kind of, I went up there, got like a piece of paper. But to me, you know, I'm spiritual. You know, I believe God showed me that for a reason. There's a reason why for my very first, you know, 48-hour film project that 
I was best actor. Now, this is how God works. I don't know how spiritual you are. Spiritual guy? Spiritual, not religious. Yeah. This is how I feel. I'll say it like this. Whoever moves things in life, move this in this way. I was picked on that 48-hour film project to be uh, on another team. And the day before everybody got all their project assignments, they said, we don't want you. We're going to, you know, put you on this other team. They got second place last year to our first. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) And who got first this year? At the last second, they moved me there. I could have been on that team and never would have got to the genre of uh, suspense thriller where I can display my acting a little bit, you know. All that lined up through whoever lined things up, you know, that was talent for me to be able to pull it off. But to put me in that position, that's that's that's, that's the the almighty liner upper <laughs> to say it in that way. I, I, I definitely didn't see that coming. So all that was been a blessing. Everything acting has uh, been a blessing. And I, 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 I give all of that, all of the thanks of that to my mom. Yeah. That's really cool. So was it hard playing a dramatic role? I mean, did you have to get in a different mindset? I mean, because to me, seeing you live, seeing you here, you seem very upbeat, very optimistic. And it was it hard to play this dramatic role and get in that mindset. Was it something that came naturally or is that just acting? Is that the whole core of acting? At this point, um, when this came about, this project came about, like uh, in comedy, we call we get this point where we call you finding your voice. And technically, in a nutshell, what that means is you're learning how to uh, make things funny in your own way. You know, you're not talking about uh, like we said, if we if I was a trip and fall, we all look at it differently. But you're confidently I know how to make what I saw funny as you find your voice in comedy. And at that point in uh, acting, I, I can I can hear me a little bit. I can, I can hear myself a little bit, so to speak. I, I'm finding something, but I know I'm still novice uh, to the point where, you know, if I had to do something bigger, I'd be like, oh, God, no, please don't ask me. Uh, unless you have the money, I would definitely try. <laughs> <laughs> but with this, I was like, it shouldn't be this hard. My only hard part and what I, you know, even from the beginning of you know, doing commercial acting is that, you know, as a comedian, we tend to use our hands and be a little more animated when we're describing because we're talking to a massive crowd. So we use our hands a lot, you know, uh, use our our, our eyes, our, you know, our voice to inflict, you know, uh, different emotions and things like that. Uh, but with commercial acting, don't do that. Like, settle down. <laughs> you know, so you gotta it's keep all about echoing. The Honda. Right, yeah. You gotta keep echoing that type of thing in your mind as a comedian. Like, there are no jokes. There are no jokes. No jokes. You don't need to animate anything. Just, you are just this character. Play this character. So, that's what I mean by like before I wouldn't have been able to find that on my own. Somebody had to remind me that of that. But this particular project, I, I was reminding myself of those type of things. And it wasn't necessarily hard, but 
the learning process uh, or the confidence building, I would say, was the actress. It was only us two in it. Uh, the actress I was playing opposite of, uh, Deanna, she was incredible. And it make you realize, like, you know, I think where I would have messed up is if, you know, like, yeah, I did really good on this. <laughs> and I walk away like, I, I killed this. I didn't even walk away from the set like that. I walked away like she killed this entire movie. When she got done with her part, the director was crying and everything. Like, my part, I was dying. So, I'm like, eyes closed and everything like that. I don't know exactly what she's doing, but the director was crying. And I'm like, she must have done something. So, I know when uh a particular scene was over with and, you know, I hugged her and congratulations, I can feel heat omitting off of her. Wow. Like she's, this is the real deal. Like I'm trying to get there. You know what I'm saying? So I won't say that it wasn't hard and I was I was able to make choices on my own. I was starting to find the voice. I wanted to say that I wouldn't say that it wasn't hard, but I would say it was a good performance for somebody who was as novice as I discovered I was, <laughs> you know, acting next to her. So I was proud to be next to her and uh, watching the film. You know, I've only able to watch it a couple of times, watching it over a couple of times. You know, that pride comes back like, you know, she she delivered a great role, but it would have been very stupid for her to deliver it by herself. So give yourself some credit, Ryan. You did do a great job, you know. So I'm very proud of it. I can't wait to do more stuff. You know, I want to do more. I'm excited. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Can I be part of your entourage? When you're <laughs> I need it. I've been trying to assemble people out here. Like people like, you're not going to need an entourage. <laughs> I tell people so many things that's going to be happening. Like things are going to be happening. I'm gonna, like I recently came back from Canada, uh, Montreal. I did a Just for Laughs comedy festival. You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Most people have. I've been telling people for a couple of years, like I'm going to be doing that. I didn't know how, <laughs> but I knew, I knew I knew enough people to make it happen. And that's what I did. You know, it was just, it's weird. Like here, you know, like I can, I can show you how to get to that festival. Like, no, you can't like, yeah, I can. I think because I'm here, people don't believe I'm here because of the caliber of comic I am or entertainer I am. It's not like I'm a like amazing, like entertainer. I don't tap dance or any of that shit. It's just, I look at it differently than I think most of the uh, at least comedians here can because it's just a ceiling, a constant ceiling. So that's why I, I, I want to help so much. But, you know, so you're going to be the only entourage. I hope you can fight and drive. <laughs> you got to do everything. You got to fight and drive. <clears throat> you got to teach me how to swim, too, and swim. <laughs> All of that. Well, I got two thirds of that. I can drive. I can swim. <laughs> Fighting, dude. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> Same here. I don't need all that fighting stuff. If anybody want to fight me, I'm I'm doing something wrong. Dude, this is uh, this is awesome. This, this is, is a lot of fun. This is 90 minutes, and I don't even think we're done. So I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to do a part two at Keep some talking point. If you want to, I got a couple more minutes. Unless you want to end it right now. Uh, I, that's I think it's a good spot to yeah, end part one. 
So sleepy. She's been, she's been <laughs> looking at her clock all over on the side. Ryan it's Evans. A lot of fun. Yes. Thank you. Tell us uh, where we can find you. I'll put all this in the show when I post it, but uh, give us your, your social details, please. No problemo. Uh, to lock everything down to find me all in one, go to RyanEvans.com. That's R-I-O-N. Ryan like lion. R-I-O-N-E-V-A-N-S. RyanEvans.com. Uh, I am Ryan Evans on Twitter. Everything else is just simply R-I-O-N. You type in Ryan Evans and you'll find me, the black one. <laughs> no, because there's another Ryan Evans that sings for Glee and everything like that. Not him. <laughs> the black one. <laughs> Sue, thanks for coming over, Ryan. This has been great, man. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. I'll get out of town this weekend when I get back. Whenever you want to do it, you just let me know. If ever you want me to come and do any part of this, this is great. I enjoy talking. Oh, I enjoy you. talking, obviously, but I enjoy <laughs> talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.